Today on Ag News Daily. Really the safety concern is is pretty tremendous because you have lots more little ones around the farm operation. And as you mentioned, it's such a busy time of year. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here coming to you solo today. Delaney is out running around getting some work done. So I'm going to bring you the world of agricultural news. And what a news day it is. We had a surprising, I think uh, it was surprising to me. Uh, It sounds as though the meat industry was aware this was coming. They've been working with the administration to get this out. But earlier today, President Trump issued an executive order using the Defense Production Act to order meat packing facilities to remain open. Now, this order came uh, amidst the potential for food shortages. Of course, we talked about that Tyson ad that ran in the New York Times over the weekend, mentioning the fact that, you know, we could see shortages of food here in this country. All of those things came together, plus a lot of pressure from farmers who are now in these stages of having to euthanize both chicken and pork out on farms as those products back up in barns. And uh, came together, the pressure came together, and President Trump signed this order earlier today. Now, this order comes with a few uh, strings attached, but I think they're positive strings for the industry to stay working. Basically, this is going to uh, give meatpacking facilities more liability protection. This matters because earlier today, we or yesterday, we saw a Smithfield employee follow suit, uh, file suit rather, against Smithfield for basically making them work during a coronavirus outbreak. We'll get to that here in just a little bit. But this act or, or this executive order gives meat plants liability protection against that. It also comes with additional testing for those plants to test their employees, identify those who are sick, send them home, send them into self-quarantine, and retain those who are healthy. In addition, the federal government is going to provide additional personal protective equipment, or PPE, to plant employees. The thinking is, with these three factors together, they can limit the amount of downtime at these meat production facilities and hopefully get slaughter back up to speed. This is a huge, uh, it's really a huge thing. We haven't seen the Defense Production Act uh, utilized. Uh, President Trump has threatened it with regard to production of ventilators and masks and that sort of thing. But this is, I believe, the first time this has been used since the Korean War. So this is a big deal. Um, we don't know how long this order will remain in place. Uh, the administration will be working with the meatpacking facilities to, I, I suppose, keep a timeline together. But uh, this is what is happening now. This is how far out of whack the food system has gotten that the Trump administration needed to step in or felt they needed to step in with this order. Now, how soon will those plants that are closed reopen? That remains open for discussion or up for debate, I should say. We're not going to see this flip the lights on at plants that have been closed overnight. It is going to take some time to get everything restarted, get employees tested, get them back on the lines, and then, of course, get caught up on shipping in all of the livestock that has backed up on farms. But it is believed that this will help producers get things back online. Now, back to the Smithfield employee. Um, This uh, lawsuit was filed by an anonymous worker at the plant, not in Sioux Falls, which is the plant that has garnered the most press, the Smithfield plant in Sioux Falls. This one comes from the pork plant in Milan, Missouri. The uh, 
Rural Community Workers Alliance. Uh, this is, uh, I, I guess, a union. I'm, I'm not sure if it is a union. It says they represent meat plant, meat packing plant workers in rural Missouri. They have joined the suit, which accuses Smithfield of failing to protect workers from the risk of COVID-19. Um, in the text of the lawsuit, they repeatedly say they have not provided enough protective gear, encouraged, they have encouraged workers to come in sick, and they told them not to cover their mouths when sneezing or coughing. Now, I'm no, you know, germaphobe, but come on, Smithfield, come on, please tell me you told them to at least, you know, cough into their elbow or something. Um, and of course, Smithfield, in response to this, they say their policy does not allow them to comment on pending litigation. Of course, it is very, very common in, in the world of illegal stuff. And, um, they, they did respond to Brownfield and they said the health and safety of their employees are their top priority. Uh, so they say these allegations aren't factual. Excuse me. And they lack legal merit. But it definitely sounds like given the temper of the times, I'm sure this is a case that will at least find its way into discovery. And we'll have to see how this whole thing shakes out. We also have news from DTN. The DTN Progressive Farmer Agriculture Confidence Index was out earlier today. And it is lower. Uh, consumer confidence, or excuse me, farmer confidence is currently at 67, which is down 97 points since December and 43 points below the March 2019 survey. And of course, in March, farmers were frustrated because we were looking out at soggy fields, at more rain in the forecast, and delayed planting. We are 43 points below that today. I don't think that's shocking to a lot of folks in agriculture if we have watched the sell-off broadly in the commodity markets. We have watched, as I've mentioned, livestock being cold. We've seen milk being dumped. We've seen corn relentlessly march its way lower towards $3. Nobody has really been a winner in the world of agriculture, and that is uh, apparent from this DTN. Um, what was interesting, uh, I think, or, or will be interpreted as interesting by a lot of non-agricultural media, uh, 90% of those polled say even though their confidence in agriculture has deteriorated really quickly, uh, 90% of them still say they plan on voting for the current administration. They, they do plan to support President Trump come November, which is actually an increase of 15 percentage points from the survey when it was performed in December of 2019. So we've actually seen uh, President Trump grow in popularity, at least in so far as the DTN poll is concerned, um, over the past year, despite uh, how all of this coronavirus stuff has been handled. You know, we talk quite a bit about the trouble the dairy industry in the U.S. has been facing, and it, it's been devastating, but they're not the only ones. The EU, their dairy industry, has also been under fire, and there have been several plans floated to try and address this. One of these, uh, or I guess several of these, have come under fire. One of the plans to address the overabundance of milk in that country was storage. Uh, the European Commission proposed last week they were going to support financially storage facilities for milk in private storage. They're basically going to write a check for you to put milk in storage. Uh, this also would allow uh, the milk sector to plan production, and it would have exempted it from certain competition rules for up to six months. And I'm not all that familiar with how the EU agriculture uh, programs are structured. I don't know what those competition rules look like that uh, dairy will be exempted from or could have been exempted from. But there has been pushback. The European Milk Board and the Milk Producer Interest Group 
have come out and they say that these type of measures have not halted crises in the past. And they say this is merely going to extend it uh, rather than getting this milk off of the balance sheet. Storage, of course, just keeps it there. And so any future production is going to be competing with this milk that is stored during this downtime. And uh, so they are, they're going to be bickering back and forth. European dairy continues to suffer. And it, again, all due to this coronavirus outbreak. That's all the news I've got for us today. We're going to continue to be monitoring the uh, the storage with this executive order and President Trump using the Defense Production Act to restart and keep uh, meat facilities running. As more of that information trickles out here over the coming days, we will be sure to keep our listeners updated. Looking out, however, at the markets, before we get into our hashtag Tech Tuesday discussion, we've got mixed trade in the grains today. Starting with corn, corn was lower on the day. The July contract was down one and a quarter at 3.12 even. December contract actually up half a cent. Closed the day at 3.30 even. Soybeans lower, slightly lower. The July was down four and a half cents at 8.32 even. November down one and a quarter. Closed at 8.39 even. Wheat was the big winner. We continue to have concerns about the wheat coming uh, out of the frost damage down there in the Southern Plains. That was supportive for the market today. The July contract was up one and a quarter cents at 5.26 even. The December was up two cents to close at 5.37 and three quarters. Looking at livestock, we've got strength in, the, well, all the way down the line in the meats, other than the front months. The June live cattle contract was up 65 cents, closed the day at 84.70. August up 12.5 cents to close at 90.52.5. In feeder cattle, that May contract was up 35 cents at 118.50, while the August was up 65 cents, closing at 127.92.5. Looking at lean hogs, after a Yesterday's surprising strength, we did still find some green today. The June contract was up 92.5 cents at 56.20. The July up $1.82.5 at 60.25. Looking at dairy, we've got mixed trade today. The April contract down 2 cents at 13.17, while the May was up 3 to close at 11.28. Without further ado, let's kick it over to a discussion that might not be strictly technology-based, but a lot of our farms require the use of technology, and we are putting young people to work in those high-technology environments every day. What can we do to keep them safe? Well, as kids are stuck at home, folks are getting into the fields and starting planting or spring calving, we are chatting about farm safety and more specifically, farm safety to ensure that your kids are safe. To chat with us about this topic, we've got Shay Folk of AgView Solutions. Shay, first of all, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you both for having me on and I'm excited to uh, talk safety on the farm here today. Because it's such an important topic, Shay, but before we get to talking safety, tell us a little bit about AgView Solutions, the company, and your role within that company. Absolutely. So AgView Solutions is based out of Iowa, and we work with clients all over the United States and Canada, anything from cost of production to business structuring and collaborations, things of that sort. But specifically with what I work on is safety consulting with farm operations. And this looks a lot of different ways. Some of it is developing emergency action plans for farm operations. Some is hosting meetings with local emergency responders in order to create a coordinated effort. So if there is an emergency on the farm, the emergency responders know what's going on there. And also just for better communication with some of the complexities that we have in farm operations today. 
So that's a little bit about what we do and uh, primarily just looking to help farm operations with some of the unique situations that they deal with day in and day out. So Shay, this past year has seen, I, I believe, at least anecdotally, an uptick in grain bin entrapments here in agriculture. Has this spurred more farmers to take a look at their safety plans on their operation? Have you seen an uptick in business? Yeah, so that's a great question, Mike. And the numbers statistically for 2019, our grain entrapment deaths and injuries are up 27%, which is truly a staggering number when you think about that. And there's many reasons behind that. Some of it was the poor grain quality conditions that we had going into 2019. Some of it is looking at the pace uh, that we needed with harvest in order to keep up, right? You had the wet grain and just a lot of things going on at once. But when it comes back to the safety planning on that, it's been a, a positive thing for the community because there has been more plans being developed. Some of that looks like um, safety and fall prevention systems being in place. Some of it is just general education on what to do if something like that does occur. But even more importantly, it's on the education side of prevention, right? Because if we can stop this stuff, before we have to do a coordinated emergency response program or putting our emergency action in plan into place, that's really the most important thing that we can do for farming operations. And Shay, we talk about safety every year, especially at this time when folks are getting grain bins ready or cleaning stuff out and getting rid of old crop as they're also getting ready to plant their new crop. But this year, we are also now facing being stuck at home maybe for some people or the enjoyment of being able to be at home but with that we also see a lot more kids at home kind of full-time compared to maybe sending kids off to school and having the daytime to do your on-farm job how do you manage that and how do you make sure or ensure that your kids understand the do's and don'ts of being around a farm during a heavy time of equipment like this yeah, that's a great question, Delaney, and I, I truly think it's the most important thing that we have going on safety-wise on farm operations today, and I don't think there's enough discussion around this. To, to put some numbers to this, when you think of the amount of kids, you know, I know Iowa and Illinois are not going to be going back to school here for the rest of this year uh, until we get into the 2020 and 2021 season, so we're looking at tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of kids being around the farm operation, that's more than we've seen any time in modern agriculture history, which is pretty amazing. And with that, there's a lot of, you know, positive things that we can talk about here in a little bit, but really the safety concern is, is pretty tremendous because you have lots more little ones around the farm operation. And as you mentioned, it's such a busy time of year. So I think one of the most important things that we can do as, as farms and families and, and businesses really is have a discussion um, within our farm teams on what kids on the farm should look like. And when you look at it from the business standpoint, you don't see kids running around a construction site. You don't see kids running around in hospitals because mom and dad work there. So you need to evaluate what that looks like on a farm operation. And, and we understand the realities that like you said, sometimes we don't have anywhere else to go during this quarantine. There's lots of uh, babysitters and, uh, you know, schooling that, that is all closed down right now. So we may not have anywhere else for these kids to go. 
So it's really talking about this as a farm operation and a team to decide, okay, where are kids allowed on the operation? What are they and what are they not allowed to do? And, and how do we take some safety measures into consideration so that they maybe understand what's going on a little better? So I think initially, Delaney, that question uh, should be focused within the farm team and operation. So Shay, when you think about children on the farm, kids on the farm, you know, run around everything you've just talked about, how do you break through that barrier of people like me grew up on the farm? By golly, I was driving the John Deere B by the time I was 12. I was, you know, helping move. Hey, I was doing all these things on the farm that today's kids should be doing as well. How do you break through that and say, well, you know, okay, but we need to consider safety. How does that conversation, I guess, start? No, that's a great question. And, and like I said, the reality is there's going to be kids doing these operations and it's a wonderful way to grow up and experience those things. You know, you and I both live, live that experience and I would not regret anything. And the fact of the matter is as the complexities in farm operations become more and more, um, you know, truly complex, uh, how do we, how do we deal with those situations? So I think when it comes to the training and education of kids, we need to evaluate what operations they are and are not allowed to do. So let's take mowing, for instance. Mowing is a great thing that kids can do around the farm and the operation, but there are so many safety hazards and concerns that, are, that go along with it. You know, are they allowed to mow in the ditches? Uh, do you have safety rollover prevention gear? Do you have the PPE that they need, you know, the hands, eyes, and ears in order to keep them safe? And, and do they know what they're doing, right? Because I know when I was young, I six, seven years old, I was out there running a mower and didn't think anything of it. When you consider that today and some of the safety mechanisms that we have built into that, um, you know, if you don't have a certain amount of weight, the mower won't start or stay running. Well, there's reasons that they build these safety things into here, and that's to protect the children and to protect those on the farm operation. So I think with the education of these different practices that we're, we're using, whether it's running a field cultivator or working cattle or loading semis in order to get grain moving here continuously. It's really evaluating with each individual kid in the operation of what are their abilities, what is their skill level, and, and do they have the proper training. And that doesn't necessarily mean an age limit or a weight limit or you need to be this tall to ride. It needs to be truly evaluated for each individual kid and what their capabilities are on the farm operation, Mike. And Shay, we've been talking about maybe a little bit more of the concern side of things, but there are also a lot of positive experiences that can come from having your kids on the farm, especially during these times. Walk us through some of the, the positives that you see coming from this. Absolutely. That's a great point because we don't want it to be all doom and gloom and negative. And like I said, it's a, it's a wonderful experience to be growing up around uh, farming and agriculture. So when you work with the kids in the operation and and you do a walkthrough of the operation and I would encourage anybody to do this take take the time it doesn't have to be a lot of time necessarily but take the time to walk through the operation and say hey these are some of the hazards and the safety concerns you know we don't want you playing with the the chemicals or around the treated seed uh, we want you to stay away from from the seed warehouse where the large equipment is operating uh, you know, definitely not around any fuel or electrical hazards. Take the time to point out those things and allow them to ask questions. Because when it comes to the safety side of things, the most important thing that we can do for the kids is to build a sense of confidence and safety for them to ask the questions 
instead of just avoiding it and continuing to do what they do. So what, by taking the time to do that, I mean, what better experience to have with not only your own children, but the kids that may be on the farm operation of pointing out things that go on on the farm and allowing them the time to, to ask the questions and, and understand why. And along with that is, you know, I mentioned whether it's running the field cultivator or loading trucks or, you know, simple things like mowing the lawn. How often do we get the opportunity when the kids are home during this time of year to teach them these operations and, and to get them involved and help them to understand what all goes on? I, I truly think that's one of the biggest benefits of this time right now is creating an environment of education and then also focusing on safety. So Shay, talk a little bit about how your trainings, how your audits, or whatever you call them, your consultancies work when you're doing, when you get asked to do farm safety. Do you visit the farm? Do you walk through things? Is it a PowerPoint presentation? What's the, what's your actual process? No, that's a great question, Mike, and I appreciate you asking that. So it's really based off of what the farm operations needs are. And that can look like a pre-planting or a pre-harvest safety meeting as a service that we offer to come in and talk with the team. And I think anybody that's ever been in uh, you know, consulting or farm operation business or served as uh, in a lead or management role, uh, you don't, you're not an expert on anything or you don't know anything until you're about five hours or 500 miles away from home, right? And so to have someone from a third party come in and provide a little bit different perspective on the operation, on some safety things that need to be focused on, and, and more importantly, just to deliver the message in a different way. And so what we try to focus on with AgView Solutions is how do you make it practical to implement these safety measures? Because we understand that safety sometimes has a, a bad connotation or a, leaves a bad taste in your mouth because people will think of ineffective policies and practices that they've dealt with in the past, things that maybe are not pertinent to the farm operation that an insurance company or some other auditor tried to tell them. Having an agriculture perspective come in and say, look, I understand you're probably not going to do X, Y, and Z every time you do this sort of operation, but here are some things that you should consider and why. So those safety meetings are definitely one part of what we offer. As I mentioned, emergency action plans. So nobody wants to think of doomsday scenarios, but there are four or five key things in an operation that everybody should be prepared for. And that is, you know, looking at what if a fire happens? What if you have a major chemical or hazardous material spill? What if a, a tornado comes in and takes out your fleet? You know, what are some of the backup plans that you have in place here? So some emergency action planning is also a crucial part of what we do. And then also looking at that emergency response coordination. And it's a little bit of a new concept, but everybody really benefits from this because when you think of the local fire departments, the EMS uh, response team, sheriff, Everybody that would respond to an on-farm accident needs to understand what is going on in that operation. And every operation is different. Every operation is unique. So how can we work together as a local community and a local team to provide truly a safety environment? And what's really effective is to bring them all in to the same location, have the discussion on that farm operation, and then do a walkthrough just like you would do with the kids. And it's amazing because these people that are in our community, they might have driven past the operation hundreds or thousands of times, 
but they don't know what goes on behind those four walls. They don't know what goes on in the feedlot. They don't know what hazards they need to be aware of. And so not only to have them go through and ask questions is a huge benefit to the farm operation, but they're also getting safety training at the same time and they can make suggestions to the farm operation before an accident happens. So that prevention is truly key, uh, you know, to having an overall safe farm operation and protecting not only your team members, but the family as well. And I think we talk so much about preparing for planting and, you know, what we've got to do to get equipment ready and seed and chemical and all that stuff. But I think safety gets left out of the conversation maybe more often than not. So Shay, we certainly appreciate you joining us and filling in our listeners about what they should be abreast of during this planting season. Absolutely, Delaney and Mike, thank you so much for having me. And and I'll leave you all with this note. You know, we take the time to check the oil in the tractors. We take the time to service our equipment. But the most important part of our farming operation truly is taking care of, you know, the farm health, ensuring the safety and success of our future generations. So if there's one thing that sticks with all the listeners out there, keep that in mind. We hope for everyone to have a safe and a healthy spring. And thank you again for having us on. Well, folks, thanks for tuning in. Thanks to Shay for taking the time to walk us through that. You know, a lot of us think, hey, the farm, you know, yeah, it's dangerous, but I grew up doing this stuff. My kid's going to be fine. And I think it's worth a reminder every now and again that, yeah, we did, by the grace of God, survive growing up on a farm. Let's take a little breather, remind our kids what we should and shouldn't be doing around the property and make sure that everybody's thinking safety as top of mind, because uh, Lord knows that is not a loss anybody wants to have to live through on the farm. Keep our kids safe. Keep yourself safe. Let's make that a point as we head into planting season, which continues to roll along across much of the Corn Belt. If you are planting corn, you want to have something to tune into while you're in the cab there, check out our podcast. You can visit our website at agnewsdaily.com. Get caught up on all the things that are happening in agriculture. And you can always send us your thoughts, send us your pictures. We want to know how planting's going in your part of the woods. Reach out to us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search for Ag News Daily. With that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to let you go.